0: Good morning, we'll be uh, continuing the study of the gospel of Mark this morning and the title of my message is the ultimate gift. Now I know many of us at Christmas time or special birthdays we go in search of the ultimate gift. This year was a little different, maybe you were looking for the perfect gift on Amazon this year at Christmas time, but every once in a while you actually hit on it don't you? In 1996, Nintendo 64 came out and my son was about eight years old when that happened and for Christmas one year he wanted Nintendo 64. So he got Nintendo 64 with Super Mario Kart and when he opened his present on Christmas, you should have seen the look on his face, it was like Chevy Chase in one of his family vacation movies where his eyes get really wide. But Douglas just threw his hands up in the air with this wide-eyed look. It it almost looked like fear. And he was just like, Nintendo 64, Nintendo 64. (laughs) And that was immortalized in our family. And now every Christmas we, we talk about it. We bring it up and say, You remember when you got Nintendo 64 and Super Mario Kart? And Kimberly and I, when we shop for gifts, we that's kind of our litmus test, right? It's like is this Nintendo 64 worthy? Uh, will it get that kind of response out of our kids? And it's funny, this last Christmas when Douglas and his wife were up for Christmas, he actually took Nintendo 64 home with him to play again. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about a perfect gift and an ultimate gift this morning. So turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 14, and we're going to be reading 1 through 11. To me, this is one of the most beautiful stories in the New Testament. Now, the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priest and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the house of Simon the leper, Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has been done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Before we get into the message itself, I think it's important to kind of establish a timeline here. As Shannon preached last week, Jesus had just predicted the destruction of the temple and had instructed the twelve disciples to be clear-minded and wide awake as they looked for the sign of the end times. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was just two days away, so Jesus was staying in the vicinity of Jerusalem, about two miles uh, east of Jerusalem. The chief priests and religious leaders were secretly plotting to arrest and kill Jesus after the Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread were finally completed. And Jesus had been invited to a dinner party in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, the healed leper, as most commentators believe. And so he was there in the home just outside of Jerusalem, and all his disciples were in attendance. Now, as we read this passage today, I think it's important to clarify a few things. First of all, this account cannot be confused with an earlier anointing mentioned in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50, which actually happened in Galilee, not Bethany. And the woman that anointed Jesus then was a woman who had been a prostitute and had been forgiven of her sins. And so she came in gratitude and an expression of love and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. So this is not the same woman. And so we have to find out because Jesus said this woman will be immortalized when, wherever the Gospels preached, people will remember her. But it's interesting that Mark actually didn't mention her name. So com- completely on our behalf, in the other passages of Scripture, we find exactly who this was. Mark and Matthew did not mention Mary. But John did. And so we'll look at a few passages of Scripture. First, John chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Again in John 11:1 1 and 2, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This is the Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So now we know that this unnamed woman in Mark chapter 14 is actually Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, the family that Jesus loved and built a relationship with. So first of all, I want to share with us today that Mary gave the perfect gift to Jesus. Why was it perfect? Well, first of all, her gift was extravagant. Look at Mark 14 Verse 3. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. This gift was of great value. It was actually uh, from India. Nard was produced from a root in India, and it was in an alabaster jar. Alabaster was not found everywhere. You could find it in Egypt, in parts of Turkey, and even in parts of India. So for it to have made its way to Judea, it would have been imported and would have cost a lot of money to get there. And so Mary had this special jar of perfume in this alabaster container that she had set aside. It was very expensive. It was extravagant. But you notice that this gift was extravagant not only because what it was worth, but the fact that she totally poured it out. She could have taken off the lid and poured a portion and kept a portion for herself, but no, she broke the jar and she poured it out, anointing Jesus' head and his feet. And John mentions, although Mark does not, that this fragrance just filled the room. So imagine for a moment, Jesus is invited into this home of Simon the leper. His disciples are there. Lazarus, his sister uh, Mary and Martha are there. And they're reclining at the table before the meal. And as the other women are preparing the meal and, and, and waiting on them, Mary comes in and she takes this expensive jar of perfume and she breaks it. And she begins to pour it on the head and the feet of Jesus and wipe it with her hair and the fragrance filled the room with its aroma the second thing i want you to see about this perfect gift is that the giver was all in nothing held back and what's amazing about this story is mary actually demonstrates true greatness in discipleship you had the disciples of jesus there who had been with him for three years and they didn't demonstrate the greatness. That Mary demonstrated so often in Scripture we don't get much of a glimpse into the discipleship of women But here we see that she was great in virtually every aspect of discipleship a few examples She demonstrated great humility Did you know that all three times in the scriptures we find her at the feet of Jesus? If you were to look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, she sat at Jesus' feet. When Martha was busy serving and making preparations, Jesus said that Mary chose what was better. She sat at the feet of Jesus as a true disciple. In John eleven thirty-one 31 through 32, when Lazarus had died and Jesus showed up later than they expected him, and they'd hoped that if he just showed up, Lazarus would have been kept from dying. He would have healed him. And so, as Lazarus lay dead in his tomb and Jesus comes up, Mary runs and she falls at the feet of Jesus. And she said, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And of course, we know the story. Later, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But at this time, Mary falls at the feet of Jesus. And then, in this particular story, this night, We see from the Gospel of John that she actually knelt at the feet of Jesus. And isn't that what true discipleship is? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, falling at the feet of Jesus in humility, and kneeling at the feet of Jesus. Not only did Mary demonstrate great humility, she demonstrated great discernment. She saw something that no one else in the room grasped. She believed Jesus was who he came to be. She chose what was better on that particular night. While the rest of his disciples were oblivious to what was about to happen to him, even though they had told her, told him, she actually believed. She also demonstrated great gratitude. Her brother Lazarus had been raised from the dead and restored as the, as the provider of their family and the head of their family. But she also showed great affection she was not ashamed to openly demonstrate her love for jesus so if you think about it great humility great discernment great faith great gratitude and great affection that is the mark of great discipleship and we see it demonstrated in the life of a woman that's only mentioned a few times in Scripture. But she's a model for all of us. The third way that we know that her gift was perfect for Jesus is because the recipient was worthy of the gift. Jesus was worthy of her adoration. She knew him personally as the resurrection and the life. When Jesus, before he raised Lazarus, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Other people heard it, but Mary personally experienced it. And so she saw him as worthy as the great I am who was the resurrection and the life. He was worthy of her generosity and her personal sacrifice. He was worthy of facing persecution for his name's sake. When others saw the perfume being poured out as a waste of a good thing, too good for Jesus, she saw it as the appropriate gift to prepare him for his burial. While others self-righteously lectured her, she went about her service with joy. And when others rebuked her harshly, she paid them no mind and worshipped the resurrection and the life. And Jesus was worthy of her acts of service. And then the the fourth thing about this gift, what made it perfect, is that the outcome was epic. Jesus said in verse 6 through 9, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memorial of her. Now, you think about it. First of all, Jesus silenced her detractors. Can you imagine being in the room with Jesus and one of the 12 disciples or Simon the leper and her breaking this perfume and you rebuking her in front of the recipient of this extravagant gift. Can you imagine the audacity to do that? And I love the fact that Jesus came to her defense. He rebuked them. He silenced them. And then he graciously accepted the gift of Mary. And he understood that she knew what she was doing and, it, and he took it graciously And then he commended mary for her actions i thought about it when we when we saw the slides of india and all those pastors jesus said wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world what she did will be held in memory of her and so here in fate texas today we are honoring her memory and her story her gift and you know what in india Whatever hours difference there is, somewhere in India, somebody was preaching this story, and every time the gospel is preached in every city and village and home, Mary is held in remembrance. What a story. What a story of the perfect gift. But as perfect as this gift was, you and I have given perfect gifts before. It was not the ultimate gift. There's only one ultimate gift, the gift that surpasses all others. And many of us know uh, the passage, John three sixteen and 17, but few passages share more the ultimate gift than this passage. And this should give us joy every time we hear it read. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's gift was extravagant. He did not spare his own son. We see this in Romans 8.22. The Bible says, he, did not, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Now, friends, some of you, most of you have been the recipient of that extravagant gift, have you not? And it's not just the gift of salvation. It's the gift of relationship with God. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. It's all the precious promises that come along with that gift. It's living with with an eternal hope and an indestructible joy. God not only gave us the gift of His Son, He didn't withhold Him from us, but all the gifts, all the eternal gifts that came with that. How could you ever top such an extravagant gift? He gave His one and only Son. His Son was broken and poured out, and the giver was all in. God, the Father gave. God, the Son, offered Himself as a gift to be broken and poured out in Isaiah 53, and I I will be honest with you, it's hard for me to get through Isaiah 53 without weeping. It's probably one of my favorite passages of the Bible, but there in Isaiah 53, 10 through 12, this is what the prophet tells us. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Friends, our Savior Jesus Christ was all in. When you read that passage of Scripture, I hope it resonates with you that we were unworthy. Christ was worthy of Mary's gift. We are unworthy of the gift of God. The Bible says there that we were transgressors we're sinners, we're iniquity bearers, we're in need of intercession, ransoming, and redemption. When you think about what Christ did, allowing himself to be a drink offering, broken and poured out on our behalf, when he spilled his blood for us, he was offering all of himself. He was all in, and we were unworthy. Friends, Paul tells us many times, I am the chief of sinners, and although I was not worthy, I was a murderer, I was not worthy to be called even the least of his apostles, God graciously reached out to me. And I will tell you this, when Jesus offered himself, he was all in. He left nothing on the table. The Bible even says in Revelation that the Lamb of God, He will be the Lamb of God in heaven, still showing us what He did and what He gave up on our behalf. And so although we were unworthy, Christ gave Himself for us as a propitiation for our sins. And just as the outcome was epic in Mary's gift, the outcome for you and I is epic. Think about it for a moment. Our debt was paid. You know what the, law, um, what the law did to convict us and condemn us? God's grace trumped that, and our debt was paid in Christ. He satisfied the requirements of the law. He satisfied the wrath of God against unrighteousness, and he paid the debt. It was paid in full for you and I. We were justified, and you've probably heard that term before, justified, I learned as a little kid, justified means just as if I had never sinned. Can you imagine that for a moment? I'm a transgressor. I'm full of iniquity. I'm a sinner. And yet, when Christ saved me, when He saved you, He justified you, He imputed His righteousness to you. You're clothed with the very righteousness of Christ. So when he looks at you, he doesn't see your iniquity. If you've accepted him as your savior, he sees you as righteous, not your own, his righteousness. Man, praise God for that. And then part of the epic outcome was that our savior was resurrected. We don't serve a dead Christ. We serve a living king. And so when he paid the debt for unworthy recipients, one of the outcomes was that Jesus was resurrected. And as we studied in our life group this Thursday in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, if if Christ is not raised, we are without God and without hope in the world. Yes, he had to die for our sins, but he also had to be resurrected, victorious. And because Christ is resurrected, that is an epic outcome that spills over in our lives, we will be resurrected. Those of us who are in Christ will be resurrected to be with him forever. Another epic outcome is that Jesus was the ultimate victor. Although the cross may have not seemed like it, Jesus won the victory. He is the ultimate victor. One day, every ruler, every principality, every power will drop at the feet of Jesus. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you and I will be in that throng of people, bowing the knee, confessing with our mouths, Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You won the ultimate victory. And then we were given eternal life. It would have been enough to have my debt paid. It would have been extravagant to forgive me of my sins and give me a life of joy in this life. But friends, God gave us eternal life in Jesus Christ. Do you, do you ever stop and think, How much hope that gives you in your daily life. When a loved one dies, that's not the end. Especially if they're in Christ, we know that we will see them again. We know. We have been given eternal life. There is no more epic outcome than a resurrected Lord and a promise of eternal life. Being joint heirs with Christ, being children of God, adopted into his family. Praise God. Praise God. So, we see the perfect gift. Mary's gift was extravagant. Mary was all in. The recipient was worthy. And we see the gift on our behalf, the ultimate gift. God didn't spare his own son. We were unworthy. And the epic outcome. But then we have to respond to God's extravagance. You know, it's not just enough to know that Jesus came and died and offered himself up. It's not enough to have a head knowledge of that. There has to come a time when you accept God's ultimate gift. You have to repent of your sins. You have to realize, I am morally bankrupt and I am in need of a Savior. And you have to understand that God is offering you the gift of his Son, the gift of righteousness, the gift of sins forgiven, and you have to be willing to accept it. When we gave Douglas that gift back in 1997, doesn't matter how he responded about it, if he didn't take it and embrace it, then the gift really wasn't his. Friends, Christ died for you, and maybe all of you have a relationship with with him, maybe some of you don't, But the bottom line is that those of us that had a relationship with him had to accept the gift that he offered. There's a choice to be made. There's a decision that you have to take. So I ask you, have you accepted God's ultimate gift? Has there been a time in your life where you realized your sinfulness, where you embraced the truth of God's ultimate gift and you took it for yourself? If not, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. If you have, maybe you need to remember for a moment, kind of scroll back. For some of you, it may have been just a few years. For some of us, it's been 40, 50 years since we made that decision. Scroll back for a moment and remember that Nintendo 64 moment When you embraced Jesus Christ, you believe and you received the forgiveness of your sins. You felt the cleansing. You felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Be grateful. Remember. But not only should we accept God's ultimate gift, we should become the perfect gift. Think for a moment. Mary took something, something very precious, broke it and poured it out. Maybe that's a metaphor for our lives. Maybe we need to become the perfect gift for Jesus. Maybe we need to be willing to be broken and poured out. Have you been? Are you being broken and poured out? are you holding it back for yourself? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Fellow members here at Redeemer. Are you the perfect gift for Jesus? Has there come a moment in your life when you've embraced the fact that this Christian life is not easy? This Christian life is pretty hard at times. There's persecution. There's people that don't understand what we believe and why we believe it. But our life is his. And maybe you are that jar sitting up on a shelf, and maybe you're saving something for yourself. That fragrance, that aroma is locked in, and it's not spreading the fragrance of Christ. And I ask you today, what is, what's holding you back? I think some of the common things that hold us back, number one, are fear. You know, I trusted Christ, the sacrifice he made, but what happens if I really and truly allow myself in his hands, to be broken and poured out. How much is that going to hurt? What's it going to cost me? And I think there's some of us who are paralyzed by fear. The aroma is not coming out of our lives into a world around us through a gospel-centered lifestyle because we're afraid for God to take us and break us and pour us out as his aroma. Maybe, maybe we're too caught up in the world maybe the thought of being sacrificing that much never occurs to us in our daily lives or maybe we are aware of it and we're just too self-centered too self-absorbed to give our lives out for christ so are you a drink offering today god knows your heart you know your heart are you a drink offering have you come to a point in your life where you said god I accept the gift, the ultimate gift, but I also want to be the perfect gift to the world. Here am I. Use me. In whatever way that you see fit, God, use me. Friends, I think what the test of true discipleship is how much you're willing to give your life away for God. Do you say yes every time that God asks you to do something? Do you take risks when the Holy Spirit is telling you to go and share the gospel with someone or to go do a loving act of service or to pour yourself out in a ministry? The choice is ours. And I, for one, I want to be that aroma of Christ that fills the room. I want my life to be broken and poured out for Christ in such a way that people who don't know him Long to be in a relationship with him. Or people who are discouraged in their faith get themselves back up again from my example and, and continue forward on the life of self sacrifice and holiness. So, what do we learn from Mark? A woman who demonstrated great humility, great faith, took something very precious to her broke it, and completely poured it out, and she understood that she was preparing Christ for his burial. So we see here in this scripture today the the death, the resurrection, and the life of Christ, and we are to emulate that. Paul says that I die daily. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Paul says in Romans, you are to make your life a living sacrifice. So I'm going to ask you today, are you that jar of alabaster perfume that is willing to be broken and poured out? Or are you sitting on a shelf? If you're sitting on a shelf, what needs to happen? What needs to be crucified? What needs to be forgiven? What needs to be let go of? I promise you, just as Mary gave the perfect gift, you and I are able to give the perfect gift to Jesus, a life that is wholly his. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that today in this church we have spoken out in memory of a great disciple of yours, Mary, the sister of Lazarus. We thank you for what her sacrifice shows us about our own lives We thank you for how she dedicated herself to giving you the perfect gift, and I pray right now that whatever is holding our members back from being broken and poured out for you, God, that we would be willing to let it go. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.